Hey, it's Dr. John Terry, the Black Belt Leader, and welcome to the Black Belt Leadership Podcast, where each week I'm sharing tips, tools, insights, and resources to help you become a Black Belt Master at who you are and what you do. Today, I want to talk about listening to wannabes. Yeah, that's right, wannabes. Another name, armchair quarterbacks. Those crazed fans in the stands who think they know more than the coaches and the players on the field. Those knuckleheads who don't hesitate to tell anyone and everyone just how much they think they know and often show their ignorance in the process. Now, in the martial arts world, we refer to these characters as wannabes, individuals who want to be the next Chuck Norris, the next Jackie Chan, the next Bruce Lee. They've watched all the martial arts movies. Maybe they've taken a few classes before they washed out, but more likely than not, outside of a few movies and maybe have read a book or two or a magazine, they know little, if anything, about the martial arts, but they believe they're the next reincarnation of Ip Man, and they're always looking to give advice to someone else who's about to take the rank. Now, the world is full of wannabes, and let me give you a recent example of what I mean by that. I had the opportunity to attend the Arkansas Tough Man competition. Now, if you're not familiar with the Tough Man competition, it is a national endeavor hosted by many states for well over a decade where individuals, large and small, show up for an opportunity to compete in a boxing competition, all amateurs, to determine who is the toughest man in your state. It's divided up by age and weight class, and it's quite a spectacle to watch. I happen to have the opportunity to be backstage for the Arkansas Tough Man competition. Now, as these competitors, amateur brawlers, as I like to refer to them, because they have little, if any, training in boxing or martial arts at all, as I watched these individuals getting ready to fight, something else I observed caught my attention. A number of fans, raving fans, came running to the back where the fighters were getting ready to go out. These fans, the wannabe fighters who were either scared or unwilling to raise their hand, they were too timid to step up and say, let me get in the ring and I will show you I'm the toughest man in Arkansas. Oh, no, 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 no. No, these guys showed up, paid a ticket to be a spectator, got a few beers in them, and now they want to be the next reincarnation of Ip Man and to be able to tell these young amateur brawlers what they need to do to be successful in the ring. Now, I do have to admit they were very passionate about what they were saying, but it was absolutely obvious from the get-go that these guys didn't have a clue what they were talking about. And it was absolutely the worst advice that you could give any fighter before they stepped into the ring. Now, for me, what was even worse was some of these amateur brawlers getting ready to go out, not knowing any better, were listening intently to these drunken knuckleheads as they were telling them to do some things that were going to get them beat and likely get them hurt. They thought because someone had come to them and say, let me share with you an idea, and they were so passionate about it, they leaned in to listen, thinking they were going to get the secret sauce to success in the tough man ring. And one by one, you got it, they lost, sometimes decisively. Now, there's a leadership lesson in this, and I want you to hear me, grab a piece of paper, and write this down. If you get nothing else out of today's teaching, get this. Bad advice, accepted and acted upon, always yields a bad outcome.
Let me say that again. Bad advice accepted and acted upon always yields a bad outcome. But how many of us are guilty of listening to the wannabes in our lives? And yes, we all have them in our lives. Why is it that we take the advice and guidance of people who are failures or individuals who have never even tried? Why do we do that? You know, it's like the young man I was recently talking to that told me he was getting marital advice from his aunt. And when I asked him what her qualifications were, he said, well, Dr. Terry, she's been married seven times over the last five years. And I looked at him and I smiled and I said, is that really who you want to be getting marriage advice from? And he looked at me kind of goofy, like, well, of course I want to get it for her. She's made all the mistakes and she's learned. Seven marriages, five years, I think she's repeating the same problem over and over. Or it's like the young girl I talked to that was getting financial advice from her best friend in high school who was still working at an entry-level position in a business 25 years later, was currently $37,000 in credit card debt, having just come out of bankruptcy for financial mismanagement. Sometimes you just don't get it. And why people listen to stupid people, I don't understand. But we do that every day. We listen to the wannabes. So it begs me to ask the question, why do we seek guidance and advice from the wannabes in our lives? Why do we turn to unsuccessful people to teach us the secrets to more success in life when they can't even spell success, much less show us what it looks like? Now, I believe there's three primary reasons, and I want to touch on those in today's training. First, you and I, we are human beings, and we want to be in relationship with other people. As a result of that, we've gathered around us a series of individuals that have become our friends. And yeah, you guessed it. We all want the encouragement and support of those people in our inner circle, our friends that we care about, that care about us and want the best for us. We like them, we trust them, and we want their approval. And as a result of that, we seek their guidance and advice without ever thinking whether or not the guidance and advice we're asking them to give us, they even have experience in that area. So I had to ask the question, why do we do that? Well, I think the common answer is that's what friends do. But herein lies the first problem. You know, Les Brown said it well, you become the sum total of the five people you spend the most time with. If they're unsuccessful, if they struggle with money, if they never get ahead in life, and that's who you're spending all your time with, guess what? The odds are quite high. You're going to be unsuccessful. You're going to struggle with money, and you're never going to get ahead in life. You become the sum total of the five people you spend the most time with. And if they are unsuccessful, you too will be unsuccessful. You know, growing up, my mom put it in just plain old archy folklore when she said, John, if you spend all your time hanging out with turkeys, you're never going to learn how to fly like an eagle. Now, I've never forgotten that comment my mom made early on in my life, and I've thought about that a lot. If you spend all your time with turkeys who don't have a clue how to fly, you never have an opportunity to soar to the stratospheric heights of success that the eagle gets to do every single day of his life. Now, I have to brag on my parents for a minute because my parents were intentional about putting my sister and I in front of exceptional people. They understood if we listened to wannabes, we weren't going to get where we needed to go in life. 
So my mom and dad put us in front of people who were successful, people who were exceptional leaders, and people, individuals who were committed to a lifetime of personal growth and development. Mom and dad expected that of us. They encouraged it of us, and they rewarded those efforts in personal growth and development in our lives. Mom and dad put us in front of people who were willing to share their knowledge, their wisdom, and their insight to help my sister and I become better at who we are and what we do. And for that, I have to just pause and say, thanks, mom and dad. Now, as I got older, I began to realize that I could learn more from successful people than wannabes. And as a result of that, I built my inner circle accordingly. And I pay money for gifted individuals who are highly talented at who they are and what they do to speak into my life on a consistent and regular basis. These mentors, these individuals I pay to speak into my life, to challenge me, to stretch me, to hold me accountable, these individuals are there for me to learn from, to lean on, and to glean their knowledge and insights from success and failure and what they've learned from both, adding their collective wisdom to my own to help me scale to stratospheric heights of success even faster. You know, I learned early on from my parents to ask the question, do you want to be this person in this area when you grow up? If not, I didn't want that person in my inner circle. If they were mediocre, lackluster, status quo, but they were not exceptional, then I was going to be mediocre, lackluster, status quo, and I wasn't going to achieve the results I wanted if I was spending my time with average people. You know, I've heard my mentor, Dr. John Maxwell say, if you find yourself as the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. And the same can be said for those in our inner circle. If you're the smartest person in your inner circle, you're in the wrong inner circle. But that begs the question, what about you? Who do you have in your inner circle that you're listening to, that you're leaning on for guidance and advice and are they ahead of you in their own leadership and success journey? So the advice they're giving you is going to move you forward and not either hold you back or simply leave you where you are. Now, the second reason I think we listen to the wannabes in our lives and we take advice from them is wannabes can be very believable. You know, I've met some really passionate people over the years that don't have a clue about what they're talking about. But because they believe what they're saying to be true, they're some of the most convincing people you'll ever have an opportunity to hear from. Now, why is that? Well, here's what we know from human behavior. When you believe something to be true, whether it's true or not, to you, it is truth. If you believe the sky is green or purple or orange, nobody's going to convince you otherwise, even though when you walk outside and look up at the sky, it's blue. To you, that is truth. And if you believe that to be true, even if it's not, you're going to speak that truth with conviction. And if you do it convincingly enough, here's what's going to happen. You're going to persuade other people to believe as you do. Now, this is one of the main reasons that urban myths continue to perpetuate decade after decade. Passionate people who believe something so convincingly that you simply accept what they say is truth without ever taking the time to verify if what they're saying is true or not. You know, it's a lesson we should have earned, learned early on in our childhood. 
Think about the story of Chicken Little. And if you've never heard the story of Chicken Little, let me give you a thumbnail of that. Chicken Little was wandering around the barnyard one day and he was struck in the head with an acorn. It knocked him out. When he came to, he found a knot on his head and in his mind, not knowing what happened, he believed the sky was falling. And in sheer terror, he began to run to other animals in the barnyard, showing them the knot on his head and telling them what had happened and that the sky was falling. Well, animal after animal blindly accepted Chicken Little's truth, even though it was untrue, and they joined in the frenzy to warn the entire barnyard that the world was about to come to an end and the sky was going to fall. And before you knew it, the entire barnyard was frantically expecting doomsday and planning for the demise of life as they know it. So that begs the question, how often do you and I simply accept the stories that are told to us by wannabes, the chicken littles in our lives, and we add our own voices to the fray, mindlessly running around in a circle, echoing exactly what they told us without question? We see it in colleges today, students blindly accepting what they're taught by their instructor and going out and parroting those very words and never questioning whether or not what they're being taught is true. Now, to take that to an even further extreme, think about cultists like Jim Jones, like Shoko Asara, Marshall Applewhite, David Koresh. These are prime examples of deluded but passionate individuals who were so convincing in their sky is falling story people blindly followed them to their death. Now, while that's an extreme example, it does demonstrate the power of a wannabe who believes something so passionately others are going to follow. Now, thirdly, we don't take the time to think for ourselves. And that's another reason we listen to the wannabes. You know, sometimes we intuitively know something isn't right or what someone's saying just doesn't quite ring true, but we don't take the time to pause, to question, or to simply ask ourselves, are they for real? Is what they're saying really true? You know, to illustrate this point, when I'm talking, oftentimes when I'm before a group, I'll refer to a made-up statistic. As we're talking, many people will say, well, John, We've always done it this way. And I'll say, well, that's great. And just because you've always done it this way doesn't mean there's not a better, more efficient, more effective way to get things done better and in less time. And then I'll share a made-up statistic that says 82.7% of all facts are made up in the moment. And then I pause and I wait to see if the audience accepts 82.7 as truth or they take the time to think for themselves. And the results are often interesting. You know, it's easy to accept what we see on TV, what we read in the news, what we hear on a podcast, rather than taking the time to verify whether the information we're receiving and what we're being told is truth, it's partial truth, or it's an outright lie. You know, a classic example is 1938. Halloween Eve, Orson Welles is gathering his team together for another installment of a radio show on CBS radio called Mercury Theater on the Air. Now, that particular night, Orson Welles chose to dramatize H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds. 
so believable and so convincing was his presentation on the air that panic ensued nationwide. Many listeners chose to believe what they were hearing rather than the reality of what they were living and the truth they could see simply by looking out the window. And the result was national hysteria. So here's the problem. It's easier to believe a trusted source of information than it is to take the time to do your own homework to confirm its validity. And regardless of your political persuasion and whatever news source you're leaning into for information, they all have a bias. They all have a specific slant by which they deliver that information to you. It's important that you know that and don't get caught up in a news organization simply parroting the words of a group they are leaning into or supporting and not giving you the ultimate truth. But how often do you and I end up acting on incorrect, incomplete, or simply bad information because we don't take the time to verify. You know, growing up early on, my dad told me, John, it's okay to trust, but you also need to verify. I think there's great wisdom in that. We can trust people to a point, but we also need to verify what we're told to make sure that what we're being told is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. You know, one of my favorite cows, sacred cows that I referred to a few minutes ago is when someone says, we've always done it this way before. Again, I give a statistic that says, you know, 82.7% of all facts are made up in the moment just to say, hey, you know, we've always done it this way. Why not? But let me share a story that I think really brings that home about not taking the time to verify. There was a wife who always cut the end of the ham off when she was putting the ham in the baking pan, getting ready to put it in the oven. And one day her husband asked her, he said, honey, why do you cut the end of the ham off before you put it into the oven? Is there some rationale for that? And she paused and she thought for a minute and she says, well, you know, I've always done it that way because that's the way my mom taught me to bake a ham. And so they began to ponder, they began to discuss. And next thing you know, the next day, this wife reaches out to her mom and says, mom, I want to ask you a question. Why is it that growing up, you always cut the end of the ham off before you put it in the oven? She said, is there a rationale behind it? Is it something that it helps the ham do? I just, my husband asked me and I didn't have a good answer. And the mom got real quiet for a minute. And she said, you know, it's the way I've always done it. It's the way your grandmother taught me to bake a ham. So now mom and daughter are really curious and they go to the nursing home to visit grandma in the nursing home and they begin to ask grandma a question. Grandma, why is it that we always cut the end of the ham off before we put it in the oven? Now, I love grandma's response and it speaks to the importance of verifying information. Here's what grandma said. Oh, honey, growing up, all we had in the house was a little small pot-bellied stove with a very small oven. I had to cut off the end of the ham or it wouldn't all fit in the stove to bake. So I would bake part of the ham first and then the part I cut off, I would bake later on in the day. So these two moms had unwittingly become wannabes simply because they chose not to think for themselves, simply because they chose not to question the validity of information they'd received to determine whether or not it's useful 
and to adapt accordingly. Now, that leads to another truth, and this, again, is something I want to encourage you to write down. Remember, bad information accepted and acted upon always leads to a bad outcome. Let me give you an additional piece of information I think you'll find beneficial as well. When we fail to think for a change, nothing changes in our lives. Let me say that again. When we fail to think for a change, nothing changes in our lives. We do the same thing the same way over and over again and expect a different outcome. Albert Einstein said that's the very definition of insanity. Now, let me bring this week's teaching home, and I want to take you back to the Arkansas Tough Man competition. As I watch these wannabes giving this worthless and sometimes dangerous advice, as these amateur brawlers were getting ready to go into the ring and fight, after a little bit of time, I'd had enough. So I walked up to this gaggle of young men, drunker than drunk, but passionate about what they were saying. And I asked these young men, I said, guys, what are your qualifications to be coaching these young men before they go to the ring? Are any of you fighters? Not a single one of them raised their hand. Are any of you boxing coaches? Do you own a gym? Not a single one raised their hand. The hallway all of a sudden started to become quiet. I then introduced myself as to who I was and why I was asking the questions. And then I leaned in and I asked an even more important question. I said, guys, if I were to just step back and say, okay, you guys give these fighters a lesson in what they need to do when they get into the ring to win and they act on your recommendations, your guidance and your advice, and they get hurt in the process, are you willing to be financially responsible for their injury? And at that point, every one of those guys put their head down, they took their beers with them, and they walked back into the stands, and they sat down. They had bought a ticket to watch the fights, and I reminded them that they were there to be a spectator, and as passionate as they were about the tough man, they were doing more harm than good simply because they were wannabes. Now, sometimes a leader, even though it's uncomfortable, sometimes as leaders, we've got to call out those who are qualified to lead and remind them they have to earn the right to speak into someone else's life. And again, that goes back to the inner circle and who you allow in your inner circle. Do they have the right by knowledge and experience to speak into your life and give you guidance and wisdom that you're going to act upon to move yourself forward in your success journey. Remember, leaders can't lead where they haven't gone and leaders can't teach what they don't know. And when you see someone trying to lead that's not qualified, sometimes the best thing you can do is lovingly, kindly call them out and let them know they haven't yet earned the right to lead. You know, I think of it this way. Watching a UFC fight doesn't make you a cage fighter. Watching a football game from the stands doesn't make you a coach. Any more than reading a book about medicine makes you a doctor. But the world is full of wannabes who don't know the difference. So maybe we'd all be better off if we stopped listening to the wannabes and we started intentionally choosing who we allowed to speak into our lives. And maybe just Maybe that means spending less time with the wannabes 
and spending more times with people who are truly successful, who can actually teach us how to be more successful as well. So here's my challenge. Be intentional about who you allow in your inner circle because you will become those people. Remember, just because somebody's believable and convincing doesn't mean they're right and they actually know what they're talking about. And when we fail to think for a change, nothing changes in our lives. I'm Dr. John Terry, the Black Belt Leader. Thanks for joining me. Have a great day.